Thanks to Josiah and the worship team for sharing and leading us in worship and getting us to think about the two things that uh, I want to share with us this morning as we come to the end of our uh, month of uh, talks on prayer. And next, uh, next week we start into uh, discussions of unity. But the service today all revolves, and you'll see how this unfolds as we look at the idea of sanctifying prayer. But I just thought, with the passing of Billy Graham this week, uh, there's, it would be appropriate for us just to look at a few quotes of, from him about prayer uh, as we do finish up our uh, month of thinking about prayer. Uh, one quote, he says, the only time my prayers are never answered is on the golf course. And I think he was uh, in jest about that, making a joke about his golf game there. Um, but more seriously, he also said, prayer is one of our greatest privileges and also one of the, our greatest responsibilities, which is why we should take it very seriously. After all, if Jesus, Son of God, made prayer an important part of his life, shouldn't we do so as well? And then another one, he said, prayer to God is like a child's conversation with his father. It is natural for a child to ask his father for the things he needs. The idea there, of course, is that it should be uh, prayer should be a natural thing for us. As we come to God our Father, we should uh, come to Him in prayer and we should feel that permission, that freedom, that openness for us to come to God in times of prayer. And that's, that's good. That's how, that's how we should feel. But as we think about it, we often find prayer to be a little more difficult than just these sorts of things that, we, uh, that other people might say. That we, It's just like a conversation with God, and yet we, we struggle with it. And if you think about this quote in particular, uh, it's natural for a child to ask his father for the things he needs. You think about a child, and one of the things a child has trouble doing is separating out what do I need versus what do I want? Children are more likely to ask for what they want. If you're, if you're with you, a young child and you're uh, just walking through Metro Town and you go by the, the, the ice cream shop, the child's going to look and say, I want an ice cream, and they're going to ask father for it, right? Because that's what you do because the kid has no money. So they're going to just ask dad for that. But that's not really a need. It's a, it's a want. And so for us, as we think of ourselves as children of God, we might hesitate to ask God because we wonder, is this a want? Is this a need? Is this really something I need? And I'm not sure what God wants me to be asking Him. I'm not, I'm not even sure about prayer in general and how this all works. And as in one of the other quotes from Billy Graham, Jesus certainly modeled prayer for us. And as we... Uh, think of Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior, and as our example for how to live our life. Certainly, we should be also following Him in prayer. And so we know that prayer is about talking or a conversation with God, but what about the content of our prayers? It was a conversation with God about what? Uh, just about the, the things that are on our minds, the things that as we sit and uh, as we think about life, the, the things that are on our mind, we, we just bring them to God. Is that what it's about? 
But so let's think about that for a little bit this morning. What is this conversation with God all about? And let's start by looking at some words. Our friend uh, the Apostle John gives us something to think about as he writes his first letter to his friends, his dear children, as he calls them. We don't really know who they were. But at the end of the letter, he says this. And he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked, what we ha- what we asked of Him. Now this is a this is a very interesting passage on prayer, and it also ties in the will of God here. So first of all, He says He gives us in verse thirteen. He gives us this very interesting statement. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is an important verse for understanding the book as a whole, the whole letter. And the the biblical authors sometimes do this. And if you read carefully, you get these clues that help you understand the whole uh, letter or the whole book that they're writing. Because here he tells you exactly why he is writing this letter. He's writing so that you may know that you have eternal life. So you can, as you read First John, you can take that as a filter for everything you read. That, that he is saying this to help us know for sure to have that confidence that we have eternal life. So he is communicating something to us there and making a point to us that this is why he's writing. But then the, the second two verses in this passage are really uh, the ones to look at here. So verse 14, he says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Interesting that he uses the word that confidence. That we have this confidence in approaching God. Because when we approach authority figures, when we approach uh, ones who are in positions of authority over us, our default position is not usually to approach them with confidence, but it's more often we approach them with humility or submission because they are the ones in authority to us. And yet he's saying we can approach God, the one who created the heavens and earth, the one who holds our very lives in his hands, we can approach him with confidence. But we struggle to do that. We struggle to approach these authority figures with confidence. You know, we were, we were on the island last week and on our bit of a vacation. We visited the BC Parliament buildings in Victoria. And then if you're into that sort of thing, it's, it's kind of interesting, and we are. So we visited, we enjoyed the visit. One of the interesting things they said was that main doors into the building are reserved only for heads of state. So they said, even our prime minister can't go in through those doors because he is the head of the government, but not really head of the state. The queen in our in our constitutional monarchy, the queen is still our head of state, or her representatives, our governor general or our lieutenant governors, are the heads of state. So they can enter into the uh, through the main doors, but our prime minister can't. And 
and the the idea there is is this approach of authority. Who can approach authority in this way? And it's only a, a certain number of people. So this is the idea that we have in our minds that when you're approaching authority, it's maybe only a certain group of people, or you have to do it in a certain way. But 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 John here is saying we can approach God with confidence. We can approach. The one who is in charge is in control and has authority over everything that we see, over all that we see, over all that we know, over all of creation, we can approach with confidence. It really is a a remarkable statement there that we can do this. And then verse 15 is pretty much just a restatement of what John has already said. We know that if God hears us, we know that our... Uh, our request has been granted. So the idea is that we can approach God with confidence in prayer. And that if we ask anything, but it's according to His will, He will hear us. He hears us. So the approach that we have is with confidence, but it's approaching Him on things that are according to His will. So we have to know the will of God so that we can approach Him with confidence with these things. And and then, as I say in verse 15, John kind of repeats that. If we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what's asked of Him. So we know that if we approach Him and God listens to us, God is going to answer our prayers. The idea of hearing there is not simply hearing, but of that hearing being turned into action that He actually does something about it. And so, we have this idea here that we can approach God with confidence, with our prayers, in line with God's will. Now, to be sure, the will of God can sometimes be hard to discern for us. And it can sometimes be hard to do the will of God. So, if that will of God, if hearing the will of God, if we hear it, it means that we're actually we're going to do it. Uh, you know, if you if you don't hear something, if you don't do it, uh, then it means you haven't really heard. If you really hear something, you're going to respond with action. And so we that's how what we would do. So, but sometimes it's hard to do the will of God. Sometimes it's very difficult to do what God wants us to do. We think of people like Jonah when. God asked him to go to Nineveh and to preach to those who needed to hear the the Word of God. Jonah turns and runs the other way. You know that story. He runs the other way and then he gets swallowed by a big fish and, and then eventually sent on his way. But it's hard to do God's will at times. Even our Lord Jesus found it hard. In Luke chapter 22, verses 42 to 44, we read, about this as Jesus comes to the end of His life as He's in the garden on the day before He's uh, facing His crucifixion. He's praying and He says, uh, this is Him praying. He says, Father, if You are willing, take this cup from Me. Yet not My will, but Yours be done. And it says, an angel from heaven appeared to Him and strengthened Him. And being in anguish, He prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This is a picture of someone who knows exactly what God's will is. Who knows how difficult it's going to be to do God's will. But says in the end, not my will, 
but yours be done. And so Jesus illustrates for us this idea that doing God's will can sometimes be very, very difficult. And so sometimes hearing God's will for us and and then actually doing it uh, may seem difficult. In fact, it may seem impossible to us sometimes. Apart from God's help, we can't do this. We sense, God, you want me to do this, but I can't. And if only, it, it, you have to help me if you want me to do this. And this is actually the position God likes us to be in. To be there and saying, God, what, I'm willing to do what you want me to do, but I can't unless you help me. This is where God wants us to be. So that when we do those very things, that we know it's not in our own strength. We know that this is from God. We know that this was impossible for me to do, but, I, but somehow it was done anyway. It must have been God at work. So doing the will of God can be very difficult. But discerning the will of God can be difficult as well. What is it that God actually wants us to do? The idea here, back to, to 1 John, the idea that we should pray in line with the will of God, but what is the will of God? That can be difficult. And we can struggle to try and find that answer so that we know how to pray. How do we pray? We want to pray in line with God's will, but what is God's will? So how do I pray? Because I don't know how what God's will is. And we end up going in that circle, trying to discern God's will and, and struggling to pray. Sometimes I think maybe we look too hard for God's will. God's will is actually often very clear to us. But are we listening to God's will? There might not be the answers that we're looking for as we look for God's will, but there might be principles that we can live by. The Bible might not tell us exactly who we are to marry, Uh, But Moses, Jesus, and the Apostle Paul tell us that we should leave our mothers and fathers and join together with our spouses. So we have a principle for marriage. Even if we don't have the exact words in the the Word of God telling us who we should marry, there's a principle about marriage there. Paul tells spouses to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we know what marriage should look like. And you can... Go and you can say, you can find all sorts of these passages about marriage that tell us about what the marriage should look like. So we know something about it. The Bible doesn't tell us what job to get, doesn't tell us what career path we should be on, but it does tell us that whatever our hands finds to do, we should do it as though we're serving our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, because in fact you are serving. No matter what you are doing, you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, again, We might not know the will of God for exactly what we are to do for our career path, but we know whatever job we have, we need to be doing it as though we are following and as we are serving our Lord Jesus. The Bible doesn't tell us how many children we're to have, but it says, fathers, don't embitter or don't frustrate your children. We're all children, and the Bible tells us how do we relate to our parents. We are to honor and respect our parents. That might be difficult to do at times for various reasons, but that's what we are to do. We are to love, the Bible tells us, we are to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves, to help, to serve, to do all kinds of things. So when we're searching for the will of God, there's lots to find out. 
we may be left a little bit in the dark about some specifics for our lives. But there are many things that the Bible points to as the will of God. But there's one that I want to draw our attention to that connects clearly the Word of God and or it connects God's will and our, and our prayers. So we've seen that we need to pray for God's will. And then Paul, as he writes to the church in Thessalonica, and this is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3-12, to and Paul writes, and he writes about God's will. Look at how he starts a couple of verses from this passage. He says, first of all, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. So if you're wondering, how do I pray? What should I pray for? What should, what should my prayers look like? We can see from John, we pray according to God's will. And then Paul tells us here, very simply, it's God's will that you should be sanctified. So one thing clearly that we can pray for is a prayer of sanctification. Praying for us to be sanctified. Here is God's will that we should be sanctified. This should all be part of our Christian experience of growing to become like Christ of living a holy life. Leviticus chapter 20, in which is repeated by, uh, uh, by Peter as well, it says, God says, be holy because He is holy. We are created in God's image. Each one of us is created in God's image. And that doesn't mean we're made to look like Him, but we are to be like God. And so as God is holy, He wants us to be holy too. And, so, and that is... The idea behind that word sanctification, it means to be made holy, to become like Christ. And so that's one of our prayers. That's what it should be, is that God helps us to become like Christ. We pray for God to help us. But what does that look like? Because here is, a, is sort of a, a chart of our life, if you will. And you can see here that it starts... It's, it starts over here with our sanctification, or, at, or starting with our salvation on the left. We come to a point where we accept Christ as our Savior, where we become saved. But then you see, the, the, as time goes on, how does that unfold in our lives? And that's the process of sanctification which ultimately leads to our glorification. Which means at some point, and this is when we finally die, we are made perfect. At the end of our life, we are made perfect. And, but throughout life, we're in this process of sanctification, of becoming more like Christ. It's got its ups and downs as the graph shows. Sometimes we do better than others. Sometimes we go through a period of life where we maybe are... Not even, not even becoming more like Christ, but moving away and becoming less like Him. But somehow, if we're really committed to God, He will grab hold of us and He will speak to us and He will help us get our life back on track and moving in the right direction. And so that sanctification is that process and not a smooth line, but one that, go, that has its ups and downs. And that's what, uh, what we're looking for. And that's what God wants for us, that we should be sanctified. We should be coming 
be becoming more like Christ. And that's not always an easy thing to do for us. But that's what God wants us to do, and that should be part of our, of our prayers. So what parts of our life need to change? What parts need to become more like Christ? It's interesting how Paul follows this up as he... Uh, if you can get the next one. There we go. Uh, as Paul follows this up, this statement that it's God's will, we should be sanctified, then he goes on and he describes to us a few areas of life where we should be sanctified. And he highlights a few of them. It's interesting, the first one that comes across is this. And he spends a, a few words saying this. He says, we should be sanctified. You should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. What does Paul what sin does Paul mention first? Sexual sin. Of all the ones that he could mention of all the, the problems that people have in their lives, of all the struggles they face, he comes up and he mentions this one. I think there's importance in this. I think there's a good reason why Paul mentioned this one in particular. I don't think it just happens to be the first one that popped into his mind, but certainly, it, to me, it was the one that he saw as most pressing on people's lives. Now, he was writing to a church a couple thousand years ago. He was writing to this uh, church in Thessalonica that we don't know very much about, except we know it, was, uh, not, it, was, it wasn't us, but it was this church. But somehow this seems just as appropriate for us today. In our hyper-sexualized culture today, isn't this one of the things that is a, a, a big enough, a, a, a great concern in our lives? You can hardly go to the supermarket and buy a pack of chewing gum without being, being shown right in your face some kind of uh, sexual images. You can hardly watch anything on Netflix. Lydia has her Netflix account set to G. There's about three programs you can watch. And that's about it. Uh, if we want to even watch The Crown... You know, you, 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 we got, I got to go to someone else's account so we can we can watch this. And you think, what is what is this? You know, and, and in a series like The Crown, there isn't a lot of uh, a lot of uh, violence or language. There is a, a little bit of sexuality and maybe some smoking. You know, I think smoking today is one of those sins that's just as uh, uh, just as bad as anything else. But but it's that sexuality that's there that needs to be in, seems to need to be in everything that we look at. And this is something that Paul is cautioning us about, and we need to listen to this caution. This is something that we're faced with today. Pornography is something that's a big issue in our lives today. I was reading it's a $100 billion a year industry. Statistics say that 79% of men between 18 and 30 view pornography at least monthly. 
Two-thirds of men between the ages of 31 and 49 and one-half of men between ages 50 and 68 uh, view porn monthly. One in three viewers of pornography are women. So it's not just a man's problem. This is a big thing in our, in our lives. And with it, it's so accessible to us. We need to recognize that this is part of what Paul is talking about. And when we think about that and that impact in our society today, Paul's words ring very true to us. That each of you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, I don't say all that to make us feel guilty, but just to highlight that this is a problem. And this is why Paul mentions it first. Because this is a problem in our society. It's a problem. It was a problem 2,000 years ago. Nothing has changed. It's still a problem today. If this is something that you need, get help. There is help out there. Search online for some help, but it usually comes down to three uh, basic things. Put some filters on your devices. Get some accountability and ask God for help. This is what Paul is saying. Ask God for help. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. And, and Peter, or John said to us, pray for God's will. So we pray for, our, for God to help us to be sanctified. That's what God wants. He doesn't want us to try and hide it from Him. He doesn't want us to try and uh, hide in our closet so no one sees but God knows. He wants us to pray for help in the sanctification. There's other sins besides sexual ones, but be aware, be careful. Try and be like Christ in addressing that one. Paul then goes on and he mentions other sins as well. He mentions other problems. Here's not so much a problem in verses uh, 9 and 10, but he says, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. So Paul here, he, he gives them a very glowing report. He, he, he says he, he doesn't even need to write to them really about their love, but look at the end. What does he say after all of that comp, uh, commending them? for the love that they have for, another, for each other, he says, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. So even when he says, you're doing really well in this area, he says, just keep doing it. In fact, do it more and more. Here's an area of strength. Build on that. Work on that. Develop that even more. So even here in this area of that, that, he, that Paul even says you're doing well in, he encourages them to do it more and more, to be more sanctified in that area. So they were reflecting God's love to one another. Uh, and he says he didn't even need to, to write to them about it, but he does. He says even those things you're doing well, you can improve on. You can ask God for His help to do this. So we're never perfect. We're never perfect. Sometimes we might uh, think that way, but we never are. Um, long time ago, in, a, in, a, in another career path I was on, I, for a while I was a, an assistant to an X-ray technician, and I had to do some some basic radiation safety because uh, we were handling radioactive isotopes. And so I did my did my little half day of training, and it was uh, it was pretty it was pretty basic stuff. And uh, the guy who graded my test, I knew I'd gotten it. I knew he, he said you got 100%, but I'm only going to give you 90 because uh, because nobody's perfect. 
And I, I said, okay, fair enough. Uh, I get that. Um, but, the, but that's the idea here, too. You know, that, that even though there's some areas that we might be doing well, you know, we can do better and better. And then Paul goes on and he says, he says more. He says, and make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you. So then he gives us three more things to consider about, how, about areas of sanctification that we can work on. So he's giving a little bit of a list here. So the first one is to live a quiet life. We're to live a quiet, he says, lead a quiet life. Make it your ambition. That's what you're to, to strive for, to leading a quiet life. The word that's used here in this, it, that, that comes across as a quiet life is closely related to the one in 2 Thessalonians 3.12, which is translated there to settle down. You get the idea. Don't be a troublemaker or a rabble-rouser. That's what not God's will for us. Be quiet. Have a calmness of speech. Uh, tranquil is another word that's used to translate that word that can describe what this means to lead a quiet life. It reflects on how uh, we impact others with our lives as well. Do we stir people up in a negative way that gets them anxious and makes them feel a little bit unsettled? Do we cause conflict and strife? Or are we bringing peace and uh, quietness, tranquility into the world? And so he says that's the kind of life that we should be trying to lead. Leading a quiet life. Not, uh, not stirring things up. Then he says we're to mind our own business. We know this one from primary school, don't we? Just mind your own business. The teacher's dealing with another student and they tell you just mind your own business. Just pay attention to what you're, what you're supposed to be doing. And so Paul, even us as adults, he reminds us here, uh, just, uh, just mind your own business. You've got something to do. You've got, God's given you a task. You're, you've got uh, family to be concerned about. You've got work to be concerned about. Just mind your own business. Don't be so concerned about what others are doing, but just focus on what you're doing. Sometimes we get... Uh, uh, we get so concerned about what others are doing that we forget about what we are supposed to be doing. So Paul just gives that reminder to uh, keep focused on your own business. Then he says the third thing, work with your hands. Get busy and earn a living. The Bible does say that we are to care for those in need. But the lazy, able-bodied people among us who are just uh, taking advantage of the generosity of others is not the place where we should be in life. Paul is clearer about this in the book of 2 Thessalonians, so his other letter to the church in the same place, and he, he uses a little sharper language there. He says, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busybodies. Such people we command. He doesn't just advise or ask, but he commands them and urges them in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. He's got some pretty sharp words for those. It seems that what was happening in this day is people were expecting Jesus to come back at any moment. So they said, we don't need to work. We've got a supply of food that's going to last us for a little while, so why should we work? Because Jesus is going to come back. And Paul is saying, it does, 
yeah, just get busy and work and earn and, and earn the food that 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 you need to eat. So Paul's got some kind of sharp words for people there. But he gives us those things there. The things that we are to do. Some ideas about what it means to, to be sanctified. The first one is that uh, sexual immorality. To make sure that we're loving one another. To build on that. To, be, um, to, be, to not be uh, busybodies. To live quiet lives. To mind our own business. To be working hard to provide for our needs. These are, these are some examples that Paul gives of ways that we can be sanctified, that we can be improved, become more like Christ. Then Paul ends this section of writing back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 12. He says, uh, We do this so that our daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And so this is the purpose of all that he has said is simply that we can have an impact on others so that others can see how we ourselves are living and that they then uh, would uh, have respect for us. And then, of course, what goes along with that is that they would uh, have some respect for the words that we say when we want to share with them about the God of the universe. So here's Paul's little few words on what God's will is for us. So we pray. We pray God's will. And God's will is for us to become more like His Son, Jesus Christ. We pray a sanctifying prayer. Asking God to sanctify us. We don't come to the, uh, to the altar with, uh, with incense. We don't come and pray uh, uh, these, some other things. But we come and we pray pray for God to sanctify us. Our temptation might be to, for God to sanctify the other person. To, to look at the people in our lives and say, God, that person really needs to improve. God, my husband, my wife, he or she is really weak in this area. Can You change them? God's will is for us to be sanctified. So our prayers, maybe instead of focused on others at times, we should pray and we should ask God to sanctify me. To change me. To make me more like Jesus. And see if God can do a work in our lives in that way. But as we wrestle with this, as we wrestle with our sanctification, and that is a a process of becoming like Jesus that can be filled with frustrations because you seem to take two steps forward and one step back. Or sometimes you take one step forward and two back and you think, God, I'm, I, I want this. But it's difficult. It's really hard. And we become discouraged and we want to give up. And just say, Lord, I give up. I can't seem to get anywhere, so I'm just going to give up and I'm going to stop trying. I think of Paul as he writes in answer to that question or as he himself struggled with this. In Romans chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, Paul says, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a message of hope 
There's a message of confidence that we don't need to despair. But, but you see that despair in Paul's voice and his words there. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this? His answer is Jesus Christ. Jesus came to rescue us from this. We don't need to despair in our, uh, in our goal of, of praying that sanctifying prayer. We don't need to despair that God is not able to do this, but He is. This is what Jesus came for, was to rescue us, to help us. And as Jesus came and, and served and gave His life for us, and then He left His Spirit that lives in us to help us. That's one of the things the Spirit does in us, is to sanctify us, to make us like Jesus, to move us from where we are to become, becoming more like Jesus. That's part of what the Spirit does. There is hope. There is hope in our Lord Jesus Christ because He has given us His Spirit, the power of God in us to help us become more like Jesus. As we face that challenge, as we maybe pray that prayer today, as the worship team comes and leads us in one, last, or one song about this, about giving ourselves to God, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to You and we pray a sanctifying prayer. We pray that You would help us to become more like Jesus. That You would help us to live holy and pure lives. That not to earn our salvation, but because we have been saved. Because You have given Your Son on the cross for us. Lord, we come back to You and we ask You to help us become more like You become more like Your Son, Jesus. We thank You for Your Spirit that lives in us that helps us to do this. And Lord, help us to listen. Help us to hear your, uh, You speak to us through Your Word, through Your Spirit, so that we can see how we can be sanctified. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.